Mighty Ape is Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. With everything from movies, music, games, toys, books, hobbies and more, Mighty Ape is your one-stop shop for the things that matter most. They constantly have hot deals and exclusive promos. And if you visit their website on the click-through banner on fakechef.net's homepage, then your purchase will help support Good Movie Monday. Mighty Ape, Australia's entertainment and pop culture superstore. Good morning. Good morning. that it is a good morning whether I want it or not. Please go away, let me speak for the love of God! Dude, I, I, I did not want to be playing that at all. You got, you got no choice, mate. Like, this show, this show... And, and no, of course, listeners don't know it yet, but they will find out very shortly that this episode is all on New Zealand cinema. And you can't do a show on New Zealand cinema without playing Dave Dobbins. Kevin. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a well-known fact. It's like when you go to Hawaii and you, you get off the plane in Hawaii, there's always a, a person there who puts a layout, puts a layout over your, over your head. In New Zealand, when you get to the airport, Every international flight is greeted by Dave Dobbin, who, if you slip him $50, will take you into the handicapped toilets and give you a slice of heaven. <laughs> it is a banger. It is a, it's a banger <laughs> of a track. It's a, uh, it, it's the, is it the theme? To, uh, yeah, to Foot Rock Flats. Was it written for Foot Rock Flats or is it just uh, co-opted by Foot Rock Flats? I reckon it was written for. There's a couple of songs in there. And I mean, we, we need to be a little more respectful when we're talking about the New Zealand national anthem. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome to another episode of Good Movie Monday. It's the weekly movie show presented by FakeShamp.net. And we're back in lockdown. Coming to you from different postcodes, thanks to Zoom. My name is Glenn Cochran. And if I were from New Zealand, I would probably be... a uh, Fush and chops kind of guy, and your regular co-host is Ben Howig, who I would rather think is more of a nice one, bro, kind of dude. <laughs> hey, mate, how are you? I'm, I think I'd be the kind of guy who would have uh, sex at sex. Oh, you just took my next gag. <laughs> oh, man, I was going to ask if I was being culturally insensitive, but um, and then I was going to say six sounds like sex. <laughs> Oh man, of course, all of this is said with affection uh, because this week's show, as Ben said, is dedicated to New Zealand movies. Those movies that aren't quite Australian movies, uh, but they're quite often much better. And that's coming from the mouth of someone who is like obsessed with Australian cinema. Uh, yep. So round up your sheep, slice up your kiwi fruit, but please leave the pavlova in the fridge because that's definitely an Aussie thing. Uh, here's, here's something kind of eerie for you, Ben. We, uh, we have focused on New Zealand films before, previously on the show. In fact, it was one year ago to this week, we had Jason Lee Howden on the show to talk about Guns Akimbo last June. And here we are again, and this time we've got director Paul Murphy on the show to talk about low-down dirty criminals. So, man, maybe this has to be an annual event. We can coincide it with New Zealand's um, Watangi Day or something. Yeah, and luckily, I know, uh, I remember ages ago hearing uh, this story that Tony Martin would tell that um, he was always incredibly disappointed by the lack of New Zealand films on IMDb. 
Like they just, there mm. were just hundreds of films that weren't listed. And so he would, uh, he would go into his front room on like a Sunday afternoon and he'd call it gardening. He'd tell his wife that he's I'm just doing a bit of gardening. And he would have friends and family send him over these like New Zealand film books and enter all the missing films and the <laughs> data into IMDb. So as long as Tony Martin is still doing that, we can still do shows. There'll always be new movies to discover. <laughs> That's true. All the more reason to stick around because we might stumble over a few nuggets ourselves. And of course, our chat with Paul Murphy is coming up. It's a good one. And I even pick his brain over some, uh, one of my favorite Brat Pack movies from the 90s. So um, some other reasons to keep listening. Obviously, we've got the same stuff from every other week. In reverse order, we have Adam Ross from the Australian Film Critics Association delivering another movie recommendation. The guys from the American podcast Bonehead Weekly will be giving you their perspective on New Zealand cinema. I have a funny suspicion there's going to be Peter Jackson involved. <laughs> Guillermo Troncoso with his update from Screen Realm and Jared Garn from Monster Pictures will be doing something a little different this week. Um, so because of the peer pressure to play that song a moment ago, Ben, I don't really think we need to cover foot rot flats no i haven't seen it good to be honest although i did know um when i used to work at alternate worlds which was a fairly well-known comic shop in melbourne it still exists to this day just not uh, where it used to be um one of our customers his family owned the rights to foot rot flats in australia they made a fortune Wow. The amount of times that you've said, like, you know, when I used to work here, insert video store or business, you've, you've been around, mate. I've had many jobs, uh, virtually <laughs> unemployable. <laughs> Never last that long. Oh, can, oh, can you smell that? I think that's, that's Jarrett waiting in the wings to have a turn at the mic. Um, so in the meantime, let's quickly fire off a couple of New Zealand movies before we do hand over the mic. Do you want to go first? Uh, sure. Look, I watched. I did watch a bunch of films for the very first time uh, this week, and ones that I I should have seen prior but haven't. And the first one was actually uh, Taika Waititi's uh, second film, uh, Boy. Mm -hmm. Coincidentally, um, stars James Rolleston, the star of Low Down Dirty Criminals, and it actually is going through all these New Zealand films. It is amazing how important that guy is to the kind of current slate of New Zealand cinema. Like he is the Bruno Lawrence of today. Like he's in yep. everything and he's great in everything. And this one is like, it's a really good, it's a, it's like a, a I, I would say it's a kid's film. It's, I mean, it's, it isn't, it isn't, but it is like, it's a kid's film from the eighties that they don't make anymore because of the themes are considered to be too advanced for kids now. Yeah, let's call it a family film. It's a family, yeah, family film. And basically, it's it's all about this um, this kid called Boy who lives with his brother. Um, his his mother's dead. His father's in prison, and he lives with his cousins and his grandmother. And uh, he kind of has this incredibly vivid imagination, and he um, like imagines all the cool things that his dad's doing and what his dad's going to do when he comes back and when he gets out of prison and stuff like that. And uh, you know, he's going to take him to a Michael Jackson concert because he's obsessed with Michael Jackson. This is set in 1984, by the way. Like it, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, then, you know, his father does come home and his father's played by Taika Waititi. And of course, his father doesn't live up to all the awesome things in, uh, in his imagination. It is it, like, it is just a, a thoroughly uh, entertaining film. I think it's, I actually think it's one of um, 
Taika's best films, even though it is his mm. second film. And it certainly is, like, I haven't seen, what's his first one? Eagle. Eagle versus Shark. Eagle versus Shark. I haven't actually seen it, but this, I don't, I don't, I don't remember that setting the world on fire, but this film kind of announces a new cinematic presence to the world. Yep. Like it is, yep. it is a, a, an absolutely stunning film. And it does feature kids swearing, uh, the thriller dance, but not down to the thriller music. Uh, Taika Waititi doing the dance fight from West Side Story, uh, <laughs> a goat, which is always uh, you know good to see in films, and uh, it contains minimal harkers. <laughs> there you go. Well, and what would a New Zealand show be without the cliche of Taika Waititi? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Taika Waititi doing a harker. Uh, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, my one of my favourite uh, New Zealand filmmakers is Vincent Ward. Uh, who a lot of people might know best from movies like What Dreams May Come, you know, with Robin Williams. Uh, and I was going to go with one of his films called The Navigator, A Medieval Odyssey, which got released on Blu-ray, you know, over the last 12 months. Um, but I, I wanted to keep my films a little more obscure for this particular show. So I'm going to go with a 1984 movie he did called Vigil, which some might know of, some might not. It's a beautiful little film about an 11-year-old girl who lives like on a re- remote sort of uh, farm in, the, in rural New, um, New Zealand. Uh, and she's there with her parents and her grandfather, but she witnesses her father's death um, when he's out herding sheep, and this stranger comes from out of the the forest, picks up her father's body and walks it back to the farmhouse, but then moves in with the family and and forms a relationship with the mother, and it's this really weird thing, and and to cope with this, the girl creates her own fantasy world in the woods around the house and sort of treats this guy like he's an enemy. It's a beautiful film. Um, It sort of... It's a dreary, sort of a greyish kind of movie. It kind of launched Vincent Ward, you know, to the world. And, and from there on, he sort of, you know, got involved with the whole Alien universe and, and other things. He hasn't made a film for a while. But um, now that I'm talking about him, before I ask what your next film is, if anybody here is listening that has my copy of Reign of the Children, the Vincent Ward film, please give it back. <laughs> I don't know who's got it. And I want it back. <laughs> it's not me. It's a great film, and I I constantly want to revisit it, and then remember, fuck, it's it's gone, lost. Have you tried anyway. looking on eBay? <laughs> That's a good point for your I copy. Do that. I don't, yeah, I don't particularly want to pay for it back. Yeah. <laughs> what, what have you got next? Uh, okay, I will talk about. Uh, there's another film that I, I um hadn't seen before, but I did. I picked it up while I was in New Zealand. Uh, I went to the JB Hi-Fi, a couple of JB Hi-Fi's over there and basically just raided their New Zealand film section because I thought like everything else I can get anywhere. I don't need to get it from New Zealand. But And there was, it was surprising the amount of New Zealand films that were not aren't available here in Australia yeah. but are available there, which I did. I, I thought if you if you released in one, you released in the other, but uh, that is not the case. And this one is from 2014, uh, once again, stars James Rolleston. It's called The Deadlands. Have you uh, have you ever heard of this film? I certainly have because it, I was going to mention it a bit later, but not as a film. But it was written by Glenn Stranding. Yes, who yes, it was who who um, directed a film I'm going to talk about. Right. Well, this is uh, yeah. So this is um, directed by Toa Fraser. Uh, stars James Rolleston and uh, Lawrence Maycor from uh, Occupation Rainfall. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name. Um, T. Kahoe Tuhaka. Sounds New Zealandy. The <laughs> He plays the villain in the film. And it's basically 
this film is basically the New Zealand version of Apocalypto. It's a tr kind of a tribal, set in a kind of a tribal time. Uh, and these um, two tribes, one uh, one tribe welcomes the uh, the son of a, of a rival kind of uh, tribal leader to visit their ancestors on, like that's on their kind of land. Uh, and the whole purpose of this is to try and forge peace between, between the two uh, tribes. Um, and then James Rolston's character is the chief's son, and he kind of follows the the rival chieftain's son into the into the forest and sees he sees him actually kind of defiling the graves of their ancestors. And mm. when he reports back, it basically causes a, a war to erupt between the two between the two uh, tribes, and uh, his the majority of his tribe is slaughtered. And so he kind of takes off to the Deadlands uh, in order to get the help from the monster that lives there, which is actually, a, a, who's actually a, like a warrior that uh, whose whole tribe has died and he's the last one left. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been, and he's been killing anyone who comes into that kind of, into his territory. And he goes there to enlist his help in order to get his revenge. Yeah, um, mate, it's great. And there's a, it's been adapted into a, a TV series for Shudder. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, so Glenn Stranding wrote the entire series. I think there's, I don't, it's an event series. There's probably six to eight episodes. Um, right. But it was very, it's been very well received. So if you have um, Shudder, it is on there. I've been chatting with him actually in the last few months, trying to get him on the show, um, just to celebrate the anniversary of the film I'm going to talk about, and just it's not come together unfortunately. Right. Yeah. I mean that's awesome. And this film does does feature a lot of uh, violent face pulling. <laughs> ancestor defiling poop eating and there is maximum harkers in this sounds one. like there jackass is, there is a lot of harkers in this film <laughs> excellent there's no harkers in my next one um i'm going to 1988 uh, a film called the grass cutter which was directed by Ian Mune, uh, who also went on to direct uh, what becomes of the brokenhearted and this one's about a guy um He's a he's an ex terrorist from Ireland, living illegally, or he was illegally relocated by the British government to New Zealand, and he lives a peaceful existence as a landscape gardener. And problem is that the bad guys from Ireland come looking for him, and it just becomes this really tense kind of standoff between these guys and him, and it, it descends into this manhunt through the woods. It kind of becomes shoot to kill meets first blood, and um. It stars um, Ian McKinney, who's in Game of Thrones and heaps of things, if you look him up on IMDb. Terence Cooper from Hot Pursuit and No Way Out. <laughs> and um, Marshall Napier, uh, Temeru Morrison. Um, yeah, it is just like an amazing film. It's really, it's made for television, but it really sort of is gritty and, and, and all that. But I first discovered this one, it's one of my early VHS memories because my parents went to a video store and they got a double feature. So they got... Um, they got the grass cutter plus wheels of terror. Do you remember that one? Yeah, the um, is it Sirio Santiago post-apocalyptic? Uh, uh, is it that film? That's the film you're talking about. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's directed by Christopher Kane, and it's um sort of like a mad. It's kind of Mad Maxi, but without the post-apocalypse. But anyway, um, regardless, that was the double feature. So whenever I think of either of the films, like I, I immediately pair pair them together. Um, yeah right. So if 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 you've never seen the grass cutter, I believe it is on YouTube in full, so it's easy to come by. 
but yeah, anyway, we, we should we should crack on. And uh, he's been waiting long enough. But before <laughs> before Jared gets in, can you pass me the Glen Twenty? <laughs> hey, this is Jared. Welcome to PE class. Now, it's difficult to be motivated to do much of anything at the moment, and uh, that's because I'm here in Melbourne. It's our second week of lockdown. It's our fourth lockdown in the space of roughly a year. And uh, there's no end in sight. There's only five reasons to leave the house and home entertainment's not one of them. And this week, the home entertainment gods frowned upon us and decided they're not going to release any movies on home entertainment as well. So when they take away your liberties and you're stripped of your passions, you're left with little to no motivation to do even simple things. Simple things like shaving, shaving when bathing, and bathing, bathing in general, really. In fact, it's been about a week since my wife last kissed me or cuddled me. I do stink, but, you know, uh, I, I exist. And when I'm in this state, I like to see characters in a similar predicament to my own on screen. So I decided I would revisit the 1986 New Zealand film Bridge to Nowhere because it concerns five teenagers that are, you know, out hiking in the wilderness. And of course they, they are unbathed. They don't have access to clean hot water like myself, but um, but regardless, they're in a similar predicament. Uh, except they have a really uh, unfortunate fate that they cross paths with Mac, a hermit lives out in the backwoods, uh, New Zealand, beautiful New Zealand countryside. And Mac's played by New Zealand cinematic royalty Bruno Lawrence. You'd know him from The Quiet Earth and Goodbye Pork Pie. And he's, he's rather brilliant in this proto Mick Taylor type of character. And except this guy, this character, Mac, actually has a better MO. There's a good reason as to why he is so mad with the teenagers. And this is essentially New Zealand's entry into the backward survivalist horror subgenre that was made famous by, you know, a film like Hills of Eyes and more recently films like Wrong Turn and even the Wrong Turn reboot. It's a, it's a really great slice of New Zealand thriller slash horror. And unfortunately, it's a pretty obscure film in that it's never actually had an Australian release. Didn't get released in cinemas, didn't have a release on home video. In fact, it's not even available on DVD or Blu-ray anywhere in the world at this current time. About the only way you can check this movie out is if you've got a Tubi account and a VPN, you can jump on and watch the film on Tubi US. And it's definitely worth doing that. I mean, a VPN can be had for next to nothing, so you could easy do that. And it's well worth the time to do so because they're pretty chilling little film. And I mean, it's it's a bit gratuitous too. There's um, there's sex, there's violence, nudity, even full frontal male nudity. Look out. Um, yeah, it, it, it's it's something. I remember seeing this film. I've got it on an ex-rental New Zealand videotape. And I saw it a few years back. And I was just like, wow, where has this film been my entire life? And of course, it wasn't in my local video store. Um, but if it were, it was probably going to be banned anyway in Queensland. I mean, even Death Warmed Up, the classic New Zealand horror film, uh, was banned in Queensland. But Bridge to Nowhere, it's it's a nice slice of heaven. Anyway, take my recommendation. Uh, live for me. And if you're in one of the other states there in Australia, you know, go out and visit a JB Hi-Fi or, you know, a store that sells physical media and just just put your hands on it. Just touch it. Sanitize before and after, of course, but just, just touch it for me. Let me live through you. 
let me live vicariously through you visiting that store and touching that physical media. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. Until next week, stay physical. Okay. <laughs> Mate, crack a crack crack a window, would you? <laughs> that, thanks to Jarrett. <laughs> I can't I can't believe it. I can't believe that that while he's been sitting in his own filth, he has managed to ruin two, almost two of my the films I wanted to talk about. I was a hundred percent. I had Bridge to Nowhere lined up to talk about. Uh, funnily enough, directed by uh, by your mate Ian Mune, who directed The Grass Cutter, and man, he's getting bang for buck on this episode. Yeah, he certainly is, and. And it also, uh, and he mentions Death Warmed Up as well, which I, which I also was going to talk about. But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I find it like Bridge to Nowhere is a great film, and I will say it does. If you're uh, if you're uh, uh, interested, if you're more uh, perv perv oriented, then uh, <laughs> there is there is some great skinny dipping in uh, Bridge to Nowhere, and and a really weird outdoor sponge bath <laughs> scene which is really weird that, um, that must rival in of the damned it's like the the, yeah. the new zealand version of in of the damned because <laughs> that's got some great sponge bath scenes mate you are a perv you you, you talk about the, the hot bods every week yeah that's it 100 <laughs> percent uh, for the benefit of uh, any newcomers to the show, Jarrett does normally um, use that segment to update us on what's coming out on uh, Home Entertainment. Um, but you can find him on the Monster Pictures and Monster Fest Facebook pages. Find him lurking there, uh, inter- interact with him, say good day. I reckon I asked this question to Keith last year, Ben. Um, what do you reckon defines New Zealand movies? Like, there's definitely something unique about them. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, definitely. I just think they have a much... Uh a much better kind of sense of humor about they, they're able to like about themselves. Yes. About that's where identity. I was going like, to define it. Yeah. There's humility. Yeah. Like they, they kind of more so than any, like when you go over there, as opposed to here, when you go over there, they've really embraced their indigenous cultures. They've yep. like, and it's, it's become, it's a massive part of, of everyday life, whereas here not so much, and that really and that comes through in their cinema as well. Like it, that really is kind of more a much more inclusive seeming place. Yeah, you you're bang on the money there because you know when you've got films of theirs that that cross into sort of indigenous stories, you don't think of it as an indigenous movie. It's just a New Zealand movie. But over here, we have to sort of define it as oh, this is an indigenous film, you know, and we have yeah. to sort of separate it for some reason. So. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was only going to sort of come at it from the humor point of view, but you you bang on the money with that, man. All right, so yeah, well there you go. I mean, that's how I would define it. But um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to one that not a lot of people have heard of. I mentioned Glenn Stranding before. Um, this is a film from 2000 called The Irrefutable Truth About Demons, and I saw this one at the Melbourne International Film Festival. And by the time it got released onto our home entertainment think through 21st century uh, the title was shortened to just the truth about demons so there was nothing irrefutable about it by the time it hit video uh it's a great little movie it also um launched the career of carl urban this is the movie that put him on the map and it's all about an uh what do you call it an anthropology professor who falls victim to a satanic cult and he's hypnotized by the demonic leader of the cult and by all accounts it's kind of like a, a by the numbers cult satanic panic kind of movie but 
and all the tropes are there, but it's a really impressive debut feature, and I think it's just worth the time to see these two careers sort of evolve from it. So Glenn Strandin, obviously, like we said, went on to the Deadlands, amongst other things, and Carl Urban, well, you know, he's now a Hollywood star. So just to go back to see where his career started, the irrefutable truth about demons, it's um, get it, get on it, it's good. Well, speaking of speaking of demons, uh, I was actually going to talk and and Jason Lee Howden, who you mentioned earlier, that uh, was mm. the reason for last year's episode on New Zealand cinema. I'm going to talk about his film debut, uh, Deathgasm, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Yes. It was the winner of a of a of a script competition that uh, Ant Timpson uh, was running, and so he went on and produced this film uh, with Jason. Uh, and it stars uh, Milo Cawthon, James Joshua Blake, and Kimberly Crossman. It is a hilarious kind of death metal horror comedy. Uh, yeah, it is. It is totally awesome. It's about this kind of outcast death metal uh, kid and his uh, kind of goofy Dungeons and Dragons playing friends who form a kind of metal band and get hold of a a record that, you know, a song that when played summons a demon <laughs> yeah. and basically the whole town goes and they summon a demon and the whole town goes to shit. Like their school yep. teacher gets possessed. Uh, people stuck there. They're uptight. This, um, the main kids uptight uh, Christian uh, parents attempt to kill him. And of course he uncovers their, their sex room and uh, kills them <laughs> with their, with their own dildos. <laughs> Which is a great, <laughs> it's a great movie. It's a great scene. There's something. There is something very early Peter Jacksonish about it too. Yeah, a hundred percent. It's that very much that kind of over the top, gross out violence, which is which yeah. is amazing. Like I, I always, I felt it was a shame. I think that uh, Madman did a bit of a disservice to this film when they released it here in Australia because I think it deserved it deserved to be a lot more uh, popular and a lot more successful than I think it was. And I did I read somewhere uh, might have even been on um, Howden's Facebook page. Is there a number two coming? Oh, look, I've heard that I've heard that rumor because uh, after Guns Akimbo, which was his kind of foray into the into the big budget kind of Hollywood film starring mm. you know, with Daniel Radcliffe in the cast and Samara yeah. Weaving and whatnot, um, uh, but I don't think that went as well as he wanted. And there, there was some, there may have, a little there, there may have been some uh, mm, argy bargy afterwards. There may have been some controversy, cancel. maybe. There may have been some <laughs> cancelling afterwards. So it wouldn't surprise me that he's returning to his roots. Yeah, I think so. And you mentioned um, Ant, uh, what's his name? Ant Tipson? Ant Tipson. Yeah, so he he directed Come to Daddy. Yes, that's right. That's the first film he's directed, but he he's yeah. produced he produced all the ABCs of Death films. Yeah. Just to contextualize uh, for people that might not know. Yeah. He's like a, yeah. he, he um, I think he part owns the Avalon, the Hollywood, the Hollywood, um, cinema in Avalon or Hollywood Avalon or yeah, whatever right. the hell it's called in uh, <laughs> in Auckland. <laughs> cool. Well, from one um, from one <laughs> odd horror movie to another, uh, this one's from 1997. Uh, director Scott Reynolds. It's a movie called The Ugly. Have you heard of this one? No, I haven't heard this of any one, of your films so far. <laughs> I tried to keep it really obscure. Now, this one is weird as it, it it takes place in a psychiatric hospital where a serial killer named Simon he undergoes like a series of psychological sessions I guess you would say um, and the film is full of flashbacks that try to piece together the timeline uh, just to unlock where it all went wrong for him but the, the the unique thing about this film is one it is very stylish but sometimes a little too artsy 
all of the blood, and there's a lot of blood, all of the blood is black in the film. And that's kind of right. what, um, what sort of you know, makes it pop. And a lot of people, and that's also a good conversation point. A lot of people online are talking about why the hell is the, the blood black? And um, my, my theory would be just it's kind of metaphorical for him being like a killing machine and that's the oil rather than blood. Like it's sort of just sort of, you know, he's, he's numb to killing. It's just something he does because he has to. And anyway, it's very stylish, like I said. Um, the only problem with it is there's two orderly characters in it that are very comical and like... I'd rate this like a really, really high sort of, you know, four and a half out of five, but because of these two comical characters, they sort of drag it down to sort of a three, but um, <laughs> just, it's worth a look anyway. You know, sometimes it's like having Silence of the Lambs with, you know, Jerry Lewis, you know, like you just can't have some kind Could of Could you imagine in it. Jerry Lewis as Wild Bill? <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> Put the lotion in the basket. <laughs> <laughs> hey, <laughs> well, there is another comedy element in it. Is do you know there's a it's a comedian called Jennifer Ward Leland, and she was in sketch shows like Full Frontal and things like that. She plays the abusive mother in the flashbacks, and she's really sadistic, but she's fantastic. And there maybe there's another another notch up the ratings for it because she's so good. She was in that other, what was that other great New Zealand film uh, that starred, it was Jennifer Ward Leland and the girl from, the main girl from McLeod's Daughters, Kate, I think it was a Kate, Kate something or another. And it also starred the guy who played Ares, God of War in um, in uh, Hercules, The Legendary Journeys mm. and Xena, The Warrior Princess. And he's got a, like a, his name is like a, you know, Michael Jackson or something like that too. Like he's got like a really... Like a na- the name of someone else that he he wouldn't have been allowed to keep that name had he been an American actor. Uh, do you know how I um, union. do you know how I came across this one though? Like, do you remember there was compilation videos hosted by Robert Englund and it was called like Boogeyman and Boogeyman Two, and it was yeah. just him narrating clips from famous killer movies and he's going through like you know Chucky and Jason and you know doing the whole like I love Chucky, he's so fantastic and then it comes to simon from the ugly like no one's heard of this film and he's like going oh simon he's from new zealand oh he's scary it's like he, he doesn't know who the fuck he's talking about yeah right <laughs> it's like the, this, this distributor distributor had like some obligation to get it in there <laughs> yeah right <laughs> just they paid they paid i yeah, found out that's right the, the film i was thinking about was desperate remedy desperate remedies from 1992 and it was right. yeah, Jennifer Ward Leland was the, she was the star she was the headliner of it, and Lisa Chappelle from ah. uh, from McLeod's Daughters and uh, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith is the guy who played Aries and stuff. He's the he's the lead guy, but it also uh, it also starred um, Cliff Curtis. There you go from Fear of the Walking Dead and you know yes. uh, Die Hard Four Point <laughs> Well, uh, do you have another one before we uh, move on? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Jared <laughs> did mention it briefly in his segment, but I did want to talk about uh, Death Warmed Up from uh, 1984. Yeah, go for it. Directed by David Blythe, starring Michael Hurst and Margaret Umbers, who also stars in uh, Bridge to Nowhere. She does not get naked in Death Warmed Up, but she does get naked in Bridge to Nowhere. So if that's the reason you're watching either of these films, there you go. Uh, <laughs> Bruno Lawrence, of course, turns up. Gary Day, uh, Narelle Scott uh, is great. I think it's probably the only 
this this and Deadlands might be the only two New Zealand films that uh, don't star um uh what's his name you mentioned it before um uh now I've completely lost his name. He's the dad in the Big Steel. Oh, Marshall Napier. Marshall Napier. That's it. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, like, he'll always believe... be the dad from the Big Steel to me. Yeah. Well, it's like it's amazing that he he started off in New Zealand films playing a certain kind of character in everything, and then he mm-hmm. just migrated over to Australia, plays the same character just with a. And he's always had like a really broad Australian accent, which must be complete horseshit. <laughs> Like he must just be putting it on, but, but I'm also uh, surprised watching so watching a lot of New Zealand films lately. A lot of the accents are very Aussie. Like they I know that we've got a similar accent, but I I I was always of the impression in my mind that New Zealand films accentuate their you know the sucks and fush and chops and that, but they don't. There's so many that I'm like I could this could be an Aussie movie and I'd never know. Yeah, I think well I think I think times they have they have changed. Like I think that's much more apparent now that they yeah. they're you know but I think because they wanted them to be commercial. So they, they just sold them out to the, to the, to where the bigger population was. So they, you know, it was important yeah, yeah. that they became successful in Australia. Like, and I mean, yeah, like, half stars. The, half the, like you listen to Bruno Lawrence and any of these films and you couldn't necessarily tell that he is from New Zealand. Yeah. Like, true. He is, you know, he's just got the Bruno Lawrence accent. True, true, true. Uh, but uh, yeah, this, so this film, this film was, was banned as Jared mentioned, banned in Queensland. Uh, it is supposedly the nastiest New Zealand film ever made. I don't know about that, but uh, maybe up until Peter Jackson kind of hit the scene. Uh, yeah, brain dead's pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty like they're all pretty kind of gross out and full on. But this film's basically about this this uh, guy who takes three of his friends to a um, uh, they go on a kind of uh, holiday to this island. Uh, but he has this kind of ulterior motive for taking them there in that when he was a when he was a kid the um his father was involved in this bio biochemical lab and his father's partner um injected him with like these mind controlling drugs and then used him to kill both his parents and he yeah. was locked away in a mental hospital because no one believed him for years and he is this island also happens to be the current base of operations for this for this doctor played by gary day who's been experimenting on these mind controlling drugs on people like bruno lawrence and uh and mm. stuff and turning them into uh mindless like they're actually not mindless but turning into, into them into violent zombie like kind of creatures who then get released and go on a rampage through the town while um while this kid tries to uh get his revenge it does Man. You can't talk about New Zealand cinema without Bruno Lawrence, man. It's just he's just integral to it. Not, there's like, going to yeah. be more of it coming up. Yeah, totally. Um, it does. It does feature uh, a horny mum, uh, pervy <laughs> mutants on motorcycles, ginger boobs, uh, both Pat and matricide, and absolutely zero harkers. <laughs> Do you reckon the most comparable Aussie film is like Body Melt or something? Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, just in its nature. In its nature. Like, I mean, that is the, the kind of the mutants are kind of become like a very almost body melty type thing. It yeah. just doesn't focus. It doesn't actually, fo- the focus is not on the mutants. The focus is on mm. the uh, the kid uh, trying to get his revenge rather than on the creatures that the doctor has created to uh, yes. further his own nefarious uh, 
designs. Fantastic, fantastic, excellent. Well, with that, it's uh, it's time for the master of martinis. He who does not want to be cancelled, <laughs> Guillermo Troncoso <laughs> from Screen Realm, uh, and that is all a reference to his latest podcast. What's happening, everybody? It's Guillermo here again from ScreenRealm.com, Australia's favourite entertainment website covering all things movies and television. Here to cover just a few stories from the past week, kicking off with Donnie Yen joining the cast of John Wick Chapter 4. That's right, the Hong Kong Chinese superstar is joining the cast of the fourth John Wick film, which of course will bring back Keanu Reeves in the lead role. Donnie Yen will be playing an old friend of Wick's, sharing a similar history along with many of the same enemies. From the sounds of it, we're going to see both Reeves and Yen taking on baddies together. We are very lucky to have Don Yen join the franchise, said director Chad Stahelski, who's staying at the helm of the franchise after directing the first three films. This will be the first John Wick movie without screenwriter Derek Colstead, who created the characters. Writing the fourth film are Shay Hatton, co-writer of Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead, and Michael Finch, known for Predators and American Assassin. Robert Rodriguez will be directing Ben Affleck in an action thriller set to start filming this year. The Sin City filmmaker will soon be starting production on Hypnotic, an action thriller led by Ben Affleck and Queen of the South star Alice Braga. Hypnotic will tell of a detective who, while investigating a string of high-end crimes, becomes embroiled in a case involving his missing daughter and a secret government program. Robert Rodriguez wrote the screenplay for Hypnotic alongside Max Borenstein, who's had a hand in shaping Legendary's MonsterVerse, writing 2014's Godzilla and co-writing both Kong, Skull Island, and this year's Godzilla vs. Kong. Hypnotic will be shooting in Austin, Texas from September 20th. And the next Mission Impossible film is proving to be impossible to finish. Production on Mission Impossible 7 has been stopped again after a positive coronavirus test. The seventh film in the Tom Cruise action franchise was shooting in the UK when the positive test was confirmed. We have temporarily halted production on Mission Impossible 7 until June 14th due to positive coronavirus test results during routine testing, reads a statement from Paramount Pictures. We are following all safety protocols and will continue to monitor the situation. Mission Impossible 7 has certainly had ups and downs. The production was shut down in February 2020 when the pandemic first started exploding around the world. Production was then delayed a week in October 2020 when 12 people were tested positive for COVID on the Italian production. And you may remember December last year saw a leaked tape with Tom Cruise absolutely losing his shit on set at people breaking COVID-19 guidelines. As always, you can jump on Screen Realm for the latest reviews as well. A recent one we had to go up was by yours truly. I reviewed A Quiet Place Part 2 and I absolutely love this sequel. In my review, I wrote A Quiet Place Part 2 expands on the first film nicely and importantly unfolds in controlled fashion. John Krasinski skirts the Hollywood trend to simply go bigger and louder with the sequel and instead confidently introduces us to slices of the wider world while keeping the story firmly character driven and still intimate, bring on part three, four and a half out of five stars. Go to Screen Realm, check out my complete review, as well as some other reviews that are up there. Also check out the trailers, also check out the schedules. Go to ScreenRealm.com. See you later.
Lassie's eyes were close and wild. Over by the fireplace, he saw the lovely child. What was to become of him? What was to be his fate? The mad gorilla picked him up and took him home to his mate. Took the child, now horrible and hairy Toured the world in one night stands From Fox to Londonderry Head of that song was Guillermo from Screen Realm. Thanks to him. Episode six of his Loud Observers podcast is now available to listen to. I recommend getting onto the video version of that on YouTube. It's uh, it's, a, it's an interesting one. It's very fun, this particular one. But Ben, uh, let's just take a moment to respect what we just heard. That was Blurter, a song called Wild Man from the 1977 movie Wild Man, starring Bruno Lawrence, directed by Jeff Murphy. Now... This is awesome. I'm sure you know the story, but let's talk about Blurter for a second. And that's a band, and it stands for Bruno Lawrence's Electric Revelation and Travelling Apparition. And it was a <laughs> band made up of musicians and actors uh, who and friends who toured around New Zealand in an iconic red bus. Uh, just to the, the principle of it was to remove themselves from the pressures and stresses of making movies and playing music. And Bruno Lawrence and Jeff Murphy's families with another family, lived in a place called Snoring Waters, which was a hippie commune. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the, the legendary actor, um, Tony Barry, who was like in Frog Dreaming and a whole lot of Aussie films, as well as Ian Watkin, who played Uncle Les from Brain Dead, were also members of the band. I was going to say, like, there is a lot of actual filmmakers in this, not just actors. Like, you know, actors needing yeah. to take a break from the stresses of filmmaking, they can eat a dick. Like I swan about in their caravans all day, come out for five minutes, repeat their lines that someone else has written for them and then piss off back to their trailers. That stresses a filmmaking, please. <laughs> well, speaking of Jeff Murphy, of course, um, one of his sons is Paul Murphy and uh, he's just directed his third feature film, Low Down Dirty Criminals. 
Take a listen to this chat I had with him a few days ago. Um, definitely don't skip through it if you are a fan of Young Guns. Well, young Guns too, really. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> G'day, Paul, mate. Thanks for uh, making some time to chat. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Glenn, um, and you're welcome. <laughs> well, so, you know, this week's episode is all about New Zealand films and... Um, you know, I think there's something entirely unique about New Zealand films that's sort of hard to define. What do you reckon is a secret ingredient to, to New Zealand films being so different? Well, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I, guess, I guess every sort of culture has their, a unique sense of humour. Um, and I think um, New Zealand has touched on its own and I think um, as you know, the English have their sense sensibilities, and the Americans theirs. I think New Zealand, and I think New Zealand's sense of humour, um, and of course, you know, Australia as well. But I think New Zealand's sense of humour is kind of it's hard to put a word to it. But I don't know if humble yeah. is the right word. I think so. I I kind of think there's a sense of pride mixed with humility, maybe. Yeah, yeah, we don't, we don't, we go about it. We, a a humour comes from the, the human condition and yeah. um, not, not trying to force, generally trying to force um, situation comedy as much. Um, yeah. Try to create characters that in their lives are going to, you know, create laughs just because of who they are and how they interact with the world. Yeah, I definitely think that you guys are more willing to make fun of yourselves than we are over here. And uh, that always sort of resonates with me. It's, it's much more endearing. Yeah, look, um, absolutely. And I've always been one to... I learned a very long time ago that if you're going to take the piss out of other people, you better be able to take it yourself. So, um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, so I, I had to... It was a hard lesson to learn early on, but, you know, I'm, I I'm happily laugh at myself these days. Good to hear, sir. And uh, your film, Low Down Dirty Criminals, is now out onto DVD. How how do you how's it feel to have it out there for people to finally get their hands on? Look, it's great. And um, you know, the biggest hurdle we had obviously was the the state of the world at the time when we released. And unfortunately, um, our schedule was locked in for the theatrical, and it was two weeks after a second outbreak of COVID in, in Auckland. And it really hamstrung the whole release and um, they couldn't delay because all the materials and all the marketing stuff had already been put in motion. Um, so it's nice to have the ability for it to be on a format that, you know, anyone can access it and um, own it for themselves. Yeah, definitely. And, and speaking of those unique New Zealand traits, uh, a moment ago, your movie definitely embodies all of those. And, you know, can you maybe uh, just give a brief synopsis of the movie to some of our listeners that might not have heard about it? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 about a, a young couple, not the sharpest tools in the shed, that um, think that the way ahead in life is maybe through crime, and one of them is a low level, is a associate or working for a low level sort of crime boss who runs a nightclub, and and he hooks his mate into there, and um, and basically they're sent on a simple task, and um, from there, which they don't succeed terribly well with using their own initiative at, at a certain point of time. And it sort of snowballs into a um, sequence of unfortunate events that get worse and worse for them. <laughs> it is a delightful comedy of errors and it's quite dark as well. I love it. And and uh, speaking of that, 
unlike your previous films, which were much lighter in tone, I guess, this one is a lot darker. You know, where did this film come from? What were maybe some of your influences? Because it's certainly no Lovebirds or Secondhand Wedding. No, look, um, and it's interesting because people, I just sort of want to caveat this with a with a um, a, a preface of my own, which is you make a film and people think that's what you do. Um, like I make three comedies and people think, oh, you're a comedy guy, but I actually love the darker um, parts of human humanity and um, and I, you know, and I also love drama and like I'd ideally in my ideal world I'd like to make all all genres of film. Mm-hmm. However, these are the three that have presented themselves to me in the last sort of ten years, and um, and that's why I've made them because I like them, and um, you know, there's nothing deeper than that in terms of um, where I see myself heading as a director. But with Lowdown, it was a script that I read back in might have been 2013. A friend, a writer friend of mine had it and he was um, keen to make it and they were working with another director at the time but they, they sort of had a bit of a roadblock creatively and um, and I sort of said, well, you know, if you want to, I love the script, I think I'm pretty sure I can get it made. If you give me a crack at it, you know, let's see what can happen. And he said, okay, you're on. I did say within six months or a year and I, it took a little longer than that. As all films do, but um, but the success, you know, to actually make a film is as a success of its own, and um, and we got there in the end. We we didn't take no for an answer and just kept kept going. But you know, David Brecken Smith, the writer, is is um, you know he he wasn't trying to create anything that was new, anything that was um, you know hadn't been done before. He just he just liked the characters and liked the scenario, and and we just thought we'd put a Kiwi twist on something that you know is a well tried and true sort of. Genre, yeah. Well, I tell you what has not been done before, and that is Rebecca Gibney in a character like this. And I tell you what, well, firstly, thank you for putting her in the film because she's been my childhood crush for a long time. Okay, but also, yeah. I've never seen her like this before. Was she on board all the way for this? Was there any hesitation from her? Not at all. And it's it's a really interesting story. The the character itself was originally a male character, and um, we sort of struggled with the male dominated, not in terms of that it didn't work, but we knew that it, we, you know, the, to make a, a movie a little bit different, you had to push a couple of boundaries, and um, so we took the male character and made it a female, but didn't change really any of the dialogue. Um, we just changed um, some of the names, and um, and then I started looking, and I've known Rebecca for thirty years, and. Um, she and then I got the had had the pleasure of work. I was almost cast in a film with her way back when. Really? Um, yeah, back in um, <laughs> it must have been the late seventies. With uh, called Among the Cinders. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get that role, but um, I finally got to work with her on a, a series called Sensing Murder, which is about um, psychics trying to solve unsolved murders. And she was the, mm-hmm. the front person who linked all the material together and. Um, so we had a good catch up there, and um, ever since I've always had an eye for when I can potentially get to work with her because I love I love the way you know I just love her and her work, and I think she's an extremely amazing actor. And and so I, so I gave her a call and I said, look, I've got this script and and we want to make this character a female character, and I think you'd be fantastic for the part. And she said, well, send it over, and so I sent it to her, and it was literally an almost immediate response: yes, I'm in. 
Um, <laughs> and I think for those reasons you stated, it's it's a character that's a long way outside of her normal tropes that she she plays in. And um, yeah, she was excited <laughs> and scared and um, um, and but I you know working with her on set was a dream and and she brought it to the table every day every minute of every day she she just worked a you know, butt off to make this film work and and she's a big reason why i think it this turned out as well as it has yeah um, definitely but yes a lot of people a lot of people definitely like wow that's not rebecca that i've ever seen <laughs> not packed to the masters for sure. I mean, just in general, you don't see many female characters like that. So just, you know, not only is it Rebecca Gibney out of character, but it's just unique in and of itself. Um, something that our, our listeners, you know, might not know is that you actually do have a very extensive career in film. And I would encourage all of them to go back looking through your IMDb because you've worked, you know, as you know, from grip on some huge films like Lord of the Rings and um, The Proposition to Second Unit on television for kids and, and, and directing features. Is this where your passion lies in the features? Oh look, I I just love telling stories. I love working with actors. Actors, we not weirdly, but I come from a very technical background. I was a um, I started off as a production runner, but eventually found my way into the grip department, which is a very technical job. You you are sort of a glorified labourer in a lot of ways. You're you're building stuff and carrying heavy stuff, and you know. But it's also a very creative role because, especially as a dolly grip, which I do a lot of now, where you intimately involved in the creation of every shot in terms of not just the thought process and suggestions and how we can make it better but also I'm pushing the dolly or or swinging the crane so and through that role I've you know you do also weirdly I've spent a lot of time really focusing on what the actors are doing because everything they do informs me of what I should be doing mm. so I think in a way it's it's, it's given me some tools um, in terms of watching actors and and reading them and, and seeing what works and what doesn't. You also get to work with hundreds and potentially thousands of directors and DOP, so you get to see what works in the way that they're working, you know, whereas if you start off as a director, um, you've only got yourself to learn from or what you've read or what you've seen, but you don't actually yep. get to stand next to them, see the decisions and see how they play out on set. Um, that, for me, was a real, I think, a real boost in, in terms of my and a real strength of my directing is I'm very efficient. I know mm. I know how to get what I want. I know the time it's going to take to get that. But it also allows me the room to be able to just spend the time with the actors and, and make sure. But, you know, I don't over-direct. I, I assume they're going to bring their A game, and they always do. And my job is really just to just little tweaks, just to move things around and, and put little thoughts in their head that might shift a little moment or, yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you, you touched upon working on the technical side because if you would just indulge me for one second, I want to go right back sort of towards the beginning. Uh, a lot of yeah. people that, that listen to our show know that um, your dad is the late, great Jeff Murphy, who is an absolute hero of mine. I'm um, one of my favorite filmmakers and I adore practically everything he gave us, but you worked on several of his films back in the day, including a movie that holds a very special place in my heart and that would be Young Guns 2. Uh, please oh, tell yeah. me that that was a memorable experience. I want, I want to know about that. Look, it certainly was, and I was a young man, I mean, youngish. Um, <laughs> my first OE trip, you know, overseas trip into the States, it was a bit of an eye-opener. Um, I turned up on set, I think they'd already been going a week, and Dad introduced me to one of the producers, and, you know, he's like, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, I don't know, you know, because I'd already been gripping for about six years then, but I didn't want to push myself into their team because I know how much they've 
how important the team structure is in those sort of departments. Um, mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a sort of the director's son is probably not going to be openly mm -hmm. accepted. So he goes, what about, you know, what about craft service? And I was like, craft service, <laughs> what's that? Because we don't call that that over here in New Zealand. <laughs> um, it's, it's more called that now because of the influence of American productions here. But mm. he goes, oh, you know, it's great. You set up tables and you, you make coffee and, you know. <laughs> I was like, oh. Um, this sounds really good. Um, have you got anything else? Maybe in the art department, because I knew I could maybe hide in the art department somewhere without causing too much of a problem. And um, he goes, yeah, yeah, sure. So basically they set me up um, working in the um, set dresses, offset dressing. So we go and prepare the sets for the crew to come on. Um, and and um, I got to work. The lead man on this particularly crew was a guy called Nigel Clinker, who was this crazy english guy who he had like hair like rod stewart and um leotards and um <laughs> and he was just a real he played in a band in the, in the 80s and in the uk and he was an amazing guy and and we just then we drove up to tucson ah we were in tucson we drove up to santa fe and my job was basically ring around all the local set dresses and we created a team out of that and for me personally yes it was it was a it was a real amazing experience to work on a production of that it was only like 27 million or something which in these days is mm. massive but in those days it's probably equivalent to an 80 million dollar film or something yeah but um yeah it was ex extraordinary to work on something of that size and, and and see how committed my dad was to that project and it was right up his alley in terms of west you know he loves westerns utu was mm. a western um he made another good western and in, in um for HBO called The Last Outlaw, I think, with Mickey Rourke. And that was a really, if anyone, if you want to go and see a really good Western thriller, that's a beauty. That's the one. Fantastic. Um, well, this is as close as I'm going to get to Young Guns. So, like, you know, the, yeah. people can't see the smile on my face right now. <laughs> yeah, no. And um, I got to meet um, Bon Jovi on set and had a little chat to him. They, there was one scene where, because he did the music, obviously, um, which is still one of my favorite songs. Um, and um, so he had a little cameo in it and all he had to do was get shot and die it took about 30 takes because um, <laughs> he couldn't die very well but um, he went on to actually do some really nice work as a as an actor on a couple of films the U-Boat the one um, he's done some other yeah. work as well so he's actually got some chops as an actor but yeah so I got to meet some people I wouldn't normally meet, have met you know like um, Emilio amazing guy Yep. Remember my name. We met briefly for about two minutes, and then like three weeks later, we met again. And he knew, he, of course, the director's son. I guess he's going to log that one, but he knew my name straight away. He was very easy to talk to. Lovely man, and most of the cast were Lou Diamond Phillips. Um, um, who else was there? Um, Kiefer. <laughs> Kiefer. He he was an interesting cat, really. He, <laughs> yeah. he sort of hung hung with his bros, and they sort of had a little posse that. He didn't really interact much with the crew and um, sort of stuck to himself. And but I did have a, I did meet Julia Roberts briefly on set. She turned up and she was his girlfriend at the time. And I didn't know who she was. She was just some female that turned up on set. Someone, I think someone might have said it's Kiefer's girlfriend, but I think she hadn't made Pretty Woman that stage. And she mm. was um, young and beautiful. And and um, and I tell her story often. I, the first she came in and made some sort of statement about something and, and it's in my nature to, to actually be contrary 
and I ended up <laughs> not an argument with her, but you know, sort of taking the piss a little. And um, but no, she she was lovely. So it was it was you know it was a real eye opener in terms of even though I've worked on sets before and met actors and you know people of reasonable fame, seen all these stars in the same place at the same time in Santa Fe. Um, mm. You know, it was an extraordinary experience, and um, and one that I'll um, you know hold dear to my heart for a long time, especially yeah. also working with my dad and watching him the workaholic that he was. Um, you know, he'd do a fourteen-hour day and then spend all night to get about three hours sleep because he spent all night doing shot storyboards for the next day. I don't know how he did it, but thank you, uh, thank you for indulging me there because um, I that's, just wanted that's, to touch you, upon that. You're welcome. <laughs> Emilio and Lou Diamond Phillips and John Fusco have all announced that there's a third one coming. So, you know, hey, maybe you can get limits really? on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, well, I'd certainly like to watch it. I don't know whether I'm going to be involved. Um, <laughs> yeah. no. But I, yeah, it's oh, but... another genre. Western is another genre I'd love to make. I just love Westerns. I, I used to, you know, wear cowboy outfit to bed when I was a kid. Um, so it's always been a passion of mine. So I've just got to find the right script. Awesome, awesome. Well, Paul, thank you so much for making time for me today. Uh, your film, Low Down Dirty Criminals, is now out. I actually published a review of that one in Stack Magazine, so it speaks for itself. I did enjoy it a lot. So um, hopefully we can chat a bit um, deeper another time soon. So uh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah, mate, any time. Just, just let me know and I'll forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Any time, mate. It's just been a pleasure. I love, I love talking about things, something that I'm passionate about. Man. I, I so badly wanted to pick his brains for stories about his dad. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about Free Jack. Tell us about Free Jack. <laughs> you know, not to distract from Paul's work, of course, but his dad, Jeff Murphy, directed movies like Goodbye Pork Pie, The Quiet Earth, Under Siege 2, Fortress 2, Don't Look Back. Like, you know. Uta, a, Utu? Utu? Yes. You know, he, he's definitely one of my favourite. Uh, it actually, like, both of us actually purposely did not pick films to talk about this week directed by jeff murphy which was Correct. almost an impossible task because every <laughs> film that i wanted to that i was like really looking forward to watching a habit is directed by jeff murphy yeah like he's you know he was the he was the uh uh kind of mel gibson oh mel gibson's probably a bad example but uh <laughs> i'm trying to he's like the quentin tarantino of new zealand yeah. That's that's a better yeah. uh yeah, that's a better analogy. Maybe cut out the Mel Gibson part. He's, no, he's <laughs> I don't the, know. He's I was Michael... trying to think of like the Australian, like who's an Australian like an iconic Australian director, and I, the only one I could think of was Baz Luhrmann, but he's shit. So Well, a bit like Peter Weir, you know, bit of exploitation as well as, you know, yeah, mainstream stuff. I don't know. Yeah, that's I could have anyway. yeah, done. Or uh Philip not Philip Noyce. Who directed the club? The Bruce Beresford? Bruce Beresford, yes, that's right. He's the Bruce Beresford of New Zealand. That's much better. There we go. And uh, thank you to Paul Murphy for taking the time to chat with me. We have copies of Low Down Dirty Criminals to give away this week and to win. All you have to do is email us at giveaways at fakeshemp.net. Answer the following question. How many takes did it take Bon Jovi to get shot in Young Guns 2? So uh, if you missed how to win, simply listen again and follow the instructions. He's shot down in a blaze of glory, Glenn. <laughs> how many times yeah <laughs> <laughs> no but how's this um paul talked about a guy called nigel clinker uh who he worked with on uh, young guns 2 and when i was looking this guy up 
I noticed that he worked on Wheels of Terror, which I referenced earlier. Wheels of Terror was directed by Christopher Kane, and Christopher Kane directed the first Young Guns. And, you know, what are the odds that Wheels of Terror would be mentioned in connection with a New Zealand film only to be mentioned by him? So strange. Well, you know what's funny is one of the films I was going to talk about uh, was Among the Cinders, which which he mentioned in the movie, working with <laughs> Rebecca Gibney. And the reason I was going to talk about it is because back in the day, after when I was in high school, and I used to after school, I used to go to Chatson Shopping Centre and go to the news agency there and uh, read through every every new issue of Celebrity Skin and this or Celebrity Sleuth, and this was the movie picked for for incredibly rare rebecca gibney nudity <laughs> and then and it's like and i've I wanted to see it ever since i was like i can't believe that rebecca gibney got naked like not a i know not australia's mum she never took it off in i live with my dad no or in pack to the rafters <laughs> or halifax there there are so many ways i want to take it and i you know, <laughs> want to avoid that cancel button um let's maybe let's just throw to the boneheads um if you were gonna if i was gonna say to you the bonehead weekly guys are talking about new zealand films this week (laughs) what do you reckon they would come up with i would think that the only new zealand films that those guys have heard of would have been directed by peter jackson welcome to bonehead weekly fun size glenn asked us to talk about new zealand which makes way better films than australia Wait, wait new zealand yeah. I thought you meant New Zealand, the Muppet that throws a fish. No, no, no. New Zealand. Oh. You know. What happened to old Zealand? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I got questions. I gotta I want can I make another Australia joke? Or should I just no, leave I'm, it alone? I mean, do they get angry down there? Soon. I don't know. We've never been. He won't let us come down. <laughs> They've never invited us. I'm pretty oh. sure actually I'm pretty sure we're not allowed to travel. Oh, good Lord. We only got five minutes, gentlemen. Two of my favorite filmmakers are actually from who made New Zealand films, Taika Waititi and Peter Jackson. And I think they're both geniuses, but Peter Jackson gave me, to me, the definitive version of one of my most beloved books or books, uh, Lord of the Rings. Now, he also gave us The Hobbit, <laughs> Diminishing Results. Those should have never been three movies based on that little book. Lord of the Rings made me want to go to New Zealand and see it and its beauty. That's really all I'm going to say. I could sit here and talk about their films, but they're uh, and I'm, geniuses. I, I actually, for me, I want to bring up a lesser known New Zealand director, uh, Jeff, Mor- Jeff Murphy. Uh, we know him from movies in America such as Free Jack, mm-hmm. Young Guns 2, and then uh, unfortunately under siege to dark territory not but that is, a, that is a wonderful film with that one guy in it that's an but awesome. he he actually has a lot of good films that he actually did in new zealand one that i want to talk about is one called never say die and the star was tumara morrison i hope i'm not butchering his name uh we know him as boba fett mm-hmm. uh who was also he also was abin sur moana's dad M- mulan yeah moana dad anyway um but anyway it's all about this couple this the the woman meets her her boyfriend at the airport and then all of a sudden through a series of events people just keep trying to kill them and they keep failing miserably it's a comedy but there's a lot of good scenes in it in particular the car the car chase scenes are phenomenal i'm talking about blues brothers phenomenal uh, car chases um and one of the cool things about uh, uh this movie is that the male 
is not he he gets piped as the hero of the movie but really it's the female she's the one that kills all the guys she's the one that drives the car kick-ass female um never say die definitely worth uh, checking out here in the states guys we can only see it on youtube but the full movie is there in youtube in spectacular quality are y'all done talking about those hacks yeah who you got i've got the great Jonathan King. Jonathan King gave us one of the films, and I said this before we started recording, my sister and I do lines from this back and forth. Most importantly, the line, who's driving this thing? <laughs> Black Sheep. I love Black Sheep. Sheep. If you've not seen Black Sheep, not the no offense meant to Chris, uh, Chris Farley, Black Sheep, the New Zealand comedy from 2006 about yeah. basically werewolf sheep, right? They, they bite somebody, he starts to become a sheep. But the sheep go crazy. The tagline is, get the flock out of here. This played one of our Halloween fests, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Chad's. I you recommended it. I recommended it to my sister. She actually <laughs> took my recommendation for some reason. And so we did have a period of time, and we still do it. Every blue moon, I'll just say, who's driving this thing? And she'll go, bang. If you've not seen Black Sheep, it's over-the-top fun. Uh, Weta, Weta does Weta. the special effects. Mm -hmm. The... Uh, peter jackson's company but it is a great fun horror comedy i agree with james shit on those other films absolutely order the yeah. rings it's a it's a just a joke compared oh, to black look, sheep i've got to carry a piece of jewelry oh, really do you have to fight a bunch of sheep because yeah. that's what's happening this has been bonehead weekly fun size <laughs> when when jad mentions a lesser known new zealand director and then says jeff murphy like come on come on <laughs> come on hilarious <laughs> for a little bit of education james asked you know jokingly whatever happened to old zealand well that would be zealand in the netherlands yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know abel tasman did did discover new zealand and named it after his homeland which was zealand no i didn't know that i just feel i figured it was like every every city in australia Named after some shithole in, in London, in England somewhere. <laughs> well, it wasn't Australia, it was New Holland, named after the old Holland. That's right, yeah. Our Van Diemen's Land, Tasmania was Van Diemen's Land. Which was also discovered by Abel Tasman. How, how are we for educational, mate? That's right. It's like all, it's like all of those primary school classes are coming back to me now. <laughs> it's when they, and they seem to stop giving a shit about Australian history once you get to high school. But in primary school, it's very important. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Now, before we go any further, uh, do you want to just quickly touch upon? I didn't prep you for this either. Touch upon some new favorite New Zealand directors. Um, do you have any? Like I said before, that Vincent Ward, obviously Jeff Murphy are two of my favorites. But I also like I love Roger Donaldson and Martin Campbell. Arguably, they are New Zealand, but they did sort of become famous with you know more Hollywood style films. But do you have any favorites? I mean, you've kind of mentioned all of them already. Like, I mean, Taika Waititi. He's, uh, yeah, yeah I, I haven't seen him. Like, I mean, I'll, look, I'm not the world's biggest fan of Hunt for the Wilder People, but every other yeah, film that he's done, I really liked. Uh, yeah, that film comes apart in the final act, I think. Oh, look, I just, I kind of just, I, I, I don't know. I, I just wasn't into it right from the start. Yeah, right. There was something about that film that put me off. Like, it just was too over the top and everything was like too, I didn't even believe they were in, in, in the wilderness. Like, yeah. <laughs> like it just it felt just i thought is this all done on a soundstage it was like watching the sapphires when you're like oh, look, uh, the vietnam I, war is the... on like a on a factory floor <laughs> in, in uh, that's the second know. time you've said that in two episodes oh look it just it infuriated me so much when i saw <laughs> sapphires i saw that at myth 
right? It was the opening night film. And I managed to swangle an invite. The first, first time I'd ever been to the opening night of MIF. And uh, we're sitting there. They usher us all into the cinema. And I'm wearing like a suit, which I never wear. And uh, <laughs> we're sitting there and time goes on. And next thing, half an hour goes past. And then an hour goes past. And then an hour and a half goes past. And we're still sitting there going, what the fuck is going on? And then suddenly like the, the movie starts. So an hour and a half late or whatever it was. And the movie is not great, but waiting an hour and a half beforehand to start, it does not put anyone in the right frame of mind. But then we find, we found out that the cast, the car, all the cast had showed up for the screening, got stuck in the elevator in their hotel and it took them an hour and a half to get out. So they were all late wow. and that's why they held off the film. And we were, it's not like we were even in the bloody cinema with that. The cast were going to, you know, appear in. We're in the shitty, in the shitty back cinema with uh, all the nobodies. You're traumatized. We're totally traumatized. But then I just like, but sitting there and watching that, there's that, like, a, it's like a, this big overhead <laughs> shot of these kind of, I don't know, missiles being sh- thrown at the American base that they're performing at. And you're like, this looks like a fucking soundstage. It, it is just whoever did the production design of that film, like, like they really dropped the ball it's in perfect, that scene. Um... Perfect moment to let our listeners know that next week's show will be all about the Sapphires in the cast as well as Wayne Blair will be at the desk. Excellent. Excellent. He can he can give me my fifty dollars back for the opening night ticket of myth. Hey Ben, are you um are you ticklish? A little bit. Oh well Adam has a film that might be right up your alley. Hey guys, it's Adam here from Adam's Just Seen and Triple M with another Good Movie Monday recommendation. And now this week we are doing the films of New Zealand. And I love New Zealand. I've been there for weddings. I've been there to see Hobbiton. I even live with a Kiwi and I have always been partial to Kiwi cinema. Now this week I'm going to go a little bit left of centre and I am going to do a documentary. I don't do that very often on the show, if ever. And I like messed up fucked up docos. I like docos where you're like, wait, what is going on here? I love the bait and switch. I love a doco when you think that there's a relatively innocent event or family or whatever's going on and you're like, wow, this is getting into twisted rabbit hole territory. Now, one of the best documentaries that I've seen that does this is a documentary called Tickled. And as its name would imply, this movie is about tickling. It's about competitive endurance tickling. Basically, dudes get tied up and they get tickled to what seems an uncomfortable degree. Now, a video of this slides across the desk of David Farrier, a journalist who has basically cut his teeth on reporting on weird shit. And he's like, okay, well, this is pretty weird even for me. And he wants to know who's making this, who's consuming it, who's the market? What's the deal with this competitive endurance tickling? When he tries to get in contact with uh, Jane O'Brien Media, the company that makes these videos, he gets such aggressive pushback and threats that he's like, I gotta get on a plane. I have to go and see what is going on with this industry. And as you know, I said before, it, this goes into such a twisted rabbit hole of, you know, it's just really, you have to lay your eyes on it. So if you want your mind blown, you want your eyes widened, if you like that kind of thing, which I really do, check out Tickled, an absolute bonkers documentary that will have you scratching your head, laughing out loud and slightly disturbed. Check it out. Adam Adam Ross from Ticket TV and Triple M. You can find him also on the Adam's Just Seen Facebook page. And can I add that the film he chose, um, Tickled, has a fantastic 
20-minute short sequel uh, on YouTube called The Tickle King, and it has to be seen to be believed. Like that That's my favorite recommendation from Adam. That's just... I really want to see it. Like, it just sounds like the perfect amount of investigative journalism and weird fetish. Oh, my God. Yes. And I can't even, like, just see it. Everyone go and see it. If you've got Stan, I think the, 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 the feature film is on there. And, yeah, oh, it's on Stan. Excellent. Every, yes. Worth every second of it. Um, so, we have a couple more films to recommend, and I'm going to keep mine fairly obscure, which um, I hope gives people, you know, reason to track these down. The more obscure, the more fun, I think. This one is very similar to your first one, Boy. This is from 2009, and it's a movie called The Strength of Water. And it's a beautiful film, and it's a very dark sort of drama tinged with a little bit of humour. Sort of, um, I guess you would say. It's, the tone of it is actually Whale Rider meets Boy. And it's about a twin brother and sister from a small Maori community who are forced apart when a mysterious stranger rolls into town and causes an awful accident. And the family's torn apart, and it's all about how these two twins uh, cope. And look, it's it's a it's all about the atmosphere for this one. It's you know it's all coastal, it's mountainous, and um, yeah, there's a greyness across the whole film. And if you know films like Winter's Bone or Sweet Hereafter, then you can blend them together as well. So Strength of Water, it's one I recommend. Hardly anybody's heard of it. Um, I'm sure you can track it down somewhere. I'll leave that to you guys to do because I don't know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, but it did. It, it did get a. It got a DVD release here at one point in time. So possibly through Madman. But anyway, what have you got? Or, next? or as Jarrett says, you just jump on, get a VPN, and jump onto Tubi in America. That's where everything is apparently now. Can you fucking believe it? Uh, All right. Anyway, your next one. It's replaced it. It's replaced Amazon as the the go to <laughs> place for obscure films in SD. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> All right, the, the film I'm going to talk about next is uh, one that I, I probably should have talked about in our post-apocalyptic uh, episode. It is uh, Battle Truck from uh, 1982. And I have never heard of it. You've never heard of it? It's It was one of the no. uh, early Roadshow re- uh, VHS tape releases. Uh, it has an alternate title. It's also called um, Warlords of the 21st Century, which is probably a better title I, I would think it's directed by harley cockless 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 yep. uh the man behind black moon rising my uh one of my favorite john carpenter movies that's not a john carpenter movie <laughs> i'd rather uh, be cockless than cockless than cockless <laughs> but it's, it's it's c-o-k it's hard to tell it's one mm. that you wouldn't want to spell out to someone over the phone because you'd, you'd be guaranteed <laughs> to, get, to get a giggle like just like after you'd finished uh, <laughs> and what's really odd, like this movie is, it's like a post-apocalyptic, it's set in a post-apocalyptic New Zealand, uh, although they never mentioned that it's New Zealand because the film is actually a co-production between, uh, I believe the US, the US and New Zealand, but it may actually be the UK and New Zealand, even though they do import a lot of their actors from the US and they try and make it out to be like a, a, a like every, it's an American film. It's not actually set mm. in New Zealand, even though it's shot in New Zealand, but it's pretending to be America. Um, and like the world has gone to shit and fuel is now the most oil, like the oil, the, all the wars were fought over oil and oil is the, is the, uh, rarest commodity in town. And these kind of people are living in these kind of remote rural areas in little communities. And this, uh, son of a bitch played by uh, James Wainwright and his, uh, kind of band of merry men are driving around in the bat in this battle truck. 
basically killing everyone and stealing all of their stuff and raping all their women and stuff. It's actually, it's really unusual that the movie's called Battle Truck because the Battle Truck is the vehicle of the bad guys. It's not the, uh, it's not, they make it out like it's like Damnation <laughs> Alley and the vehicle is the hero's kind of yep. thing that they go around saving people in. No, no, these... <laughs> The villains have the battle truck and they use it for uh for evil purposes and basically um everything's going perfect swimmingly for these bad guys until they uh they run across michael beck that's right swan from the warriors <laughs> is uh, hiding out in the wilderness with a motorcycle from the future like these people have no electricity yet they have motorcycles from the future and uh and he kind of thwarts them when they uh take over a community that uh, he helps and in the in as part of one of the one of the members of the community is a very young john ratzenberger glyph <laughs> from cheers <laughs> who plays like a uh, he does a, he does a really good job like totally different from from like cliff like you it, it was it required a double take to kind of I was, oh my god it's john ratzenberger and he's like playing like a character wow like funnily enough in in recent years the only things i've seen john ratzenberger in is like he's he has a non-speaking part in uh um for, uh, what's it called uh oh, jesus jesus christ helwig uh <laughs> i can't remember what it's can't remember what the call of the movie is and it's one of my favorite uh favorite films funnily enough um and it stars uh uh the australian guy who made that tim Witten movie <laughs> with the uh, and that girl from aliens versus predator sana lathan so i remembered one of the people in it sana <laughs> lathan is uh is in it and using sana lathan's name i'll be able to find the it's not something <laughs> borrowed uh it's a great movie it's a it's a really good film too but anyway but he's in it he's like the he's the um he plays the dad of the uh, the Aussie guy's character, and he's like, it's shocking that he appears in it. Not only is it shocking that he uh, appears in it, but he um, he just doesn't say he doesn't say a word. Like you're like, why would you get John Ratzenberger in your film, and then not have him deliver any lines? It's something something new is the film. <laughs> And Simon Baker. Oh, is the if guy. people can hear me laughing along the way, it's because this, this I, have the I, I have the privilege of watching you try to find this title whilst trying to pad the air <laughs> yeah, with, with, with information. Like, like listeners are literally <laughs> listening to someone <laughs> succumb to Alzheimer's disease and dementia, <laughs> like live on the air. Like it is. And I get like, to see Jesus it. Christ. Like. <laughs> it is it is it's depressing like it used to be that uh it was how the fuck can you remember this like i like with with actors in stuff i it was like i was a walking talking imdb now I, i'm literally if i take a shit it's lucky that i remember to wipe my ass afterwards because i've forgotten i've taken the shit straight after i've taken it <laughs> It is. There is no. There is no way for me to possibly segue into my next film. Um, I haven't even finished. I haven't even finished with Battle Truck yet. But uh, okay, but we'll keep fine. going. Like no, you've just wasted five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, is it, what else can I? Say? What else can I say? Marshall Napier is in Battle Truck. Bruno Lawrence. Oh my god. Bruno Lawrence is also in the in uh, Battle Truck. In fact, Bruno Lawrence almost kills Marshall Napier. 
It's like there was only Almost. one office at Central Casting and they just had the one Rolodex and they all had Bruno Lawrence and Martin yeah. Napier. Yeah. Yeah. It's, all right. Uh, well, anyway, I'm going, I'm, I've, I've, I've saved the best one for last. I'm going back to 1982. Uh, funnily enough, another one that imports uh, some, some talent from overseas, but the movie's called The Scarecrow and I like to think that you have this on VHS. I can't for the life of me think why the fuck it's called The Scarecrow, to be honest with you. That was the name of the novel, but it makes no sense in the context of the film. But when it had a home entertainment release, it was released on video as Clinham Summer and whatever, you know, it's just weird. But What's it the called? thing about this one, Klinghan, Klinghan, K-L-Y-N-H-A-M, Klinghan Summer. Right. You might know I, the poster. I, I don't have it on VHS. Okay, uh, well, the thing about this one, it is like, a, it's so strange. It's like a cross between Something Wicked This Way Comes, crossed with Stand By Me, crossed with A Christmas Story. And it all takes place over the summer in, uh, in 1940s uh, New Zealand. And an old man narrates his childhood. And the story has him as a kid, like perhaps about 14 years old, with three of his mates riding through town and getting into all kinds of trouble. And at the same time, there happens to be a murderer and a rapist that rolls into town, putting everybody on high alert. And um, John Carradine plays a sinister drifter that comes into town who may or may not be the killer. Of course he is. <laughs> yes. and <laughs> he, would have, um, he would have to be, surely. It is such a, a weird blend between drama, childhood adventure, and thriller. And apparently the book itself was uh, very much... Uh, one of those American psycho type of things where it was just far too dark to film. And so the the movie itself tones it right down. Uh, look, if you've never heard of it, then do look it up. It's it's fantastic and just so strange. Yeah, right. No, I, I'm definitely uh, interested. This is going to make a very interesting letterbox list. Like I'll have to make my <laughs> yeah. own kind of sub one of films to trackle down. Of, to trackle. Films to trackle down, mate. <laughs> fucking just shoot me in the fucking face. <laughs> it's lucky we're not in the same room because I would, I would hand you, uh, I would hand you my my parents' dildos and demand that you kill me with them. I can tell you, I gotta say, like it is really strange not being at the desk with you. It's like it's amazing how quickly we became used to it, considering we did how many episodes via Zoom. Yeah, I remember when we were doing Zoom for maybe what at least ten episodes. I remember the thought, I said to you, hey, lockdown's over, let's do it at the desk. But there was apprehension. I'm like, oh, but we have something good going on with Zoom. And suddenly we're back on Zoom and I'm like, I don't like it. I don't, I don't like, like it at, at all. all. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, we don't get to eat dinner together. That's that's what's really killing me. Like I had dim sims. I had dim sims <laughs> for dinner tonight, but it just didn't feel right. In <laughs> for for the for the benefit of the show, you had dim sums for dinner. Dom dom sums. Dumb sums. And well, and here lies the end of the show, or, or should I say, end of the show. <laughs> <laughs> hang on, a, hang, hang on a second there, Speedy Gonzalez. Uh, we did mention on last week's show that we would draw the winner of oh, the Killing see. of America <laughs> competition. Uh -huh. Oops, uh, the question that you had to answer was uh, name. Uh, the Killing of America was was one of the first three Palace Explosive VHS titles. Name either of the other two, and the answers were the answers were uh, Blood Sucking Freaks or um, I Spit on Your Grave. And uh, we had a number of entrants, and the the lucky person 
who won with an answer of I spit on your grave is Derek Hardwick. So congratulations, Derek. We will be in touch via that email uh, to get your address and send that on out to you. Fantabulous. And here it really does lie the end of the show. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm amazed that, that there haven't been more New Zealand jokes than, than what we have done. Yeah, like not, we didn't make, we didn't do a single one about sheep fucking. I've got one for you if you want it. Yeah, yeah lay, lay it on me. You know I love. You know All I right. love a good sheep fucking. I... <laughs> well, an Aussie, an Aussie walks in on a kiwi fucking a sheep, and says, "In Australia, we shear our sheep." And the kiwi replies, "Piss off, bro! I'm not shearing her with you." <laughs> and that's Horrendous. a wrap. <laughs> and that's why they hate it. That's right. Hey, we're talking about a culture of people that like to take the piss out of themselves, and there's no way we could uh, we could be so so good about it in return. I'm sure they they like to take the piss out of themselves, but I don't think they like it when other people do it. <laughs> no, it is said with absolute affection. I think it's been pretty clear that we we love these people. Yeah, look, I've been I've been <sighs> to New Zealand twice, and I fucking loved it. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful stuff and beautiful place. And thank you for listening to our final podcast. <laughs> We've been cancelled. <laughs> Direct all hate to my spam folder. The New Zealand Film Commission have shut us down. <laughs> massive, massive thanks to Paul Murphy for talking about low down dirty criminals. Um, Paul, all of this is said with uh, much love, mate. Uh, you are welcome back on the show at any time to return serve to us and um, pick up a copy of Low Down Dirty Criminals on DVD or enter our competition for a free copy if you're a cheapskate. Uh, thanks to Umbrella Entertainment. Thanks to Eagle Entertainment. Thanks to Lunar Driving, Astor Theatre and Four Pillars Gin. All of them probably struggling throughout this uh, lockdown. So please, you know, send them some love, even if it's a like on Facebook. Uh, whipping around the virtual room. Also, thanks to Jarrett, Guillermo, Adam, Joe, Chad and James and Ben. Special thanks to you. Anything you want to add Yes, if anyone knows a good doctor who uh, who uh, deals with people losing their mind, uh, send them my way. Because it's like, I mean, it's been bad before. It's never been this bad. The kind of doctor I can imagine checking you over is the one from Cannonball Run. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, quite frankly, what I, what I probably really need is a proctologist. But, yeah, uh, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> Just keep, I just say, just enter, just go in through the back passage, but then just keep going till you get to the top and, and uh, <laughs> tell me what's wrong up there as well while you're at it. Oh man. Uh, you're like, well, it's like gonna, a COVID-19 gonna... test on, on, on crack. It's the biggest they, swab they, I've ever seen. They get the swab and it goes all the way up. Goes, oh, oh, we've got God. some brain matter here. <laughs> Did you go all the way up? No, we didn't have to go that far. It's just, it's all sitting in your lower intestine. Small intestine, lower intestine. <laughs> Fucking hell! <laughs> well, we're gonna we're gonna sign off uh, this episode with a song called "No Depression in New Zealand" by a band called Blam Blam Blam. It was featured in Jarrett's favorite film from 2019, a New Zealand jukebox musical called Daffodils, which I also happen to love. Um, have a wicked week, everyone. We'll be back in seven days' time to do it all over again and talk about alien invasion movies. And our special guest is going to be Dan Ewing from the Occupation Movies. Have a great week. Catch you then.